when um, when I was a kid, my uh, my younger brother uh, had one of those little uh, Nintendo things. You know what I'm talking about? The, uh, the Game Boy. Did anybody else have one of those when you were young? Uh, did any of you have one when you were older? Isn't it? <laughs> Um, and, and my favorite game, probably the only game I really ever enjoyed on the, on the Nintendo, because I'd steal it away occasionally, and I'd be the older brother, um, and, and I would play uh, Tetris. Any of you guys ever played Tetris? I, uh, for those of you who haven't, you've missed um, a, a genuine blessing God has provided to all men. Um, I, I, uh, it's hard for me to, to describe the level of awesome that comes with Tetris. Um, and, and actually, if you played it, and I've talked to a lot of folks who had this happen, if you play it, and you play it well, and you play it enough, when you go to bed at night, you'll close your eyes. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, and what it is, is it's not even like a really complicated game. They play cheesy Russian-y kind of music, and little blocks fall, and you've got to like put them together like a puzzle, and make them all fit, and make solid lines, and it just, like, it, 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 it's awesome. And, and they go faster and faster, and sometimes you make mistakes, and you've got to alter. And you can play it online, but if it's not the original Tetris, it's just not the same. Um, though I think you can play the original Tetris online. I'm not sure. But, but, so Tetris is this game where, where the objective is to lock everything in and fill up all the space and do it as efficiently as possible. And every once in a while, they throw you like a block that you can't use, and you've got to figure out a place to stick it and, and everything else. And, and I, I, I tell this... As an opening, um, I thought, oh, you know what, actually, I, I'm going to control my slides, and I forgot all about it. Um, when we moved here, one of the first things that um, we had to do was we had to pack. And when we packed, um, we had to load this truck, and, and I, my friend Joe, um, Joe's a truck driver, and Joe um, set me up. And, and the first thing we did was we put all the big stuff in the truck, right, like including the pickup. We put the pickup in the truck, like how, how often do you actually get to do that? And then... Then once the truck was in there, we started stacking things on top of the truck, right? Because um, if we had put all the little stuff in first, what would have happened? Truck never would have made it on, right? <laughs> because the further we went, you know, there's another photo of how full it got. Like the further we went, it became less and less plausible um, to put big things in. And actually, I remember it's like like 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, we're, we're loading up the last of the stuff, and I found a couple of odds and ends that we had forgotten. I found a, a rack for a weight bench, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> you know. And we brought it out, and Joe picked it up, and he looked at it, and he said, that ain't going, right? Because it, it, just, it was too big to fit. Um, and and we, some of you all were there when we unloaded the truck. It was a real effort. I mean, there was a lot of junk in there, and, and it didn't help that we own about 4,000 books or boxes of books, not even, and, and, like, the whole effort just unloading that. And those things take up space. Um, and, and fitting it all in, we had to pick out our priorities and put the big stuff in first. And then we put smaller and smaller and smaller things in. Um, I'm starting with this because um, there's sort of an analogy here, right? And I've heard it talked about with rocks in a jar. Anybody ever heard that story? Where a professor takes a big jar and he gives a class a you know, a cup of gravel and some sand and some big rocks, and he says, put it all in, and the students pour the sand in first, and then they can't fit the big rocks in because everything else took up all the space. And the demonstration is you put the big rocks in, then you put the smaller rocks in because they'll fill in the cracks around the big ones, and then you pour the sand in because it can go anywhere, right? Um, what we're looking at today, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 6. If you're following along at home, I might actually have it up on the screen today. Can I? Yes. 
Um, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, and a huge part of what, um, what's going on in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the largest collection of teachings that Jesus did, like, in one setting. And there are variations of the Sermon on the Mount that appear in other parts of the Gospels, but, like, this is the big one. And, and Jesus teaches about everything. He teaches about um, um, money. He teaches about marriage. He teaches about all this stuff. And, and we're specifically going to be looking at verse 33. But if I just grab one verse out of the middle, that's not right. We've got to look at some context, like a frog in a pond. That's what I heard. You know, the frog goes in the pond. So the frog is our 33, and the pond is the context. Is that right? Did I do that right? Oh, I should have had one of your daughters come up and explain it. That's the... <laughs> Um, (laughs) grudge match people grudge match (laughs) we may wear pro wrestling masks i don't know um (laughs) um, so jesus in the preceding passages we're not going to go all the way to the beginning of the the teaching because it would take way too long um but we're going to go back earlier in the chapter he teaches about fasting and fasting is something folks don't always do nowadays right but it's where you don't eat as a way of like setting apart like like um, your physical needs in favor of prayer, and and um, Jesus teaches about fasting. He says, "Listen, all you folks who fast, and when you're not eating, you wander around and do this like, oh, I'm hungry, oh, I'm so it's so bad, and then you stop washing your face and combing your hair so you look more pathetic." He says, "If if you're doing that, this fasting thing this way, you're missing the point." And not only that, you're collecting your reward here in this world. Um, He goes from fasting to money. Because he says, you're collecting your reward in this world. What's the reward, by the way? If I do, like, holy acts so people can see me, it's so folks can see me. And that's my reward. My reward is everybody thinks I'm awesome. Meanwhile, God is hanging out and saying, well, nothing for me, huh? Um, The priority there, right? What's the big rock? The priority in that situation is glorify God, not glorify me in front of other people. At the end of that teaching, he says, um, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot, moths and rust cannot destroy them, um, where thieves can't break in and steal them. He says, you know, because if you, if you have everything in this world, it ain't going to last. If, if I do things to look holy and awesome and I, and I shoot off my mouth in public about my brisket cooking um, abilities, um, people are going to eventually find out that's not true. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that'll be what it is. Like, those things go away. If I trust in my own wealth, you know, my brand new car, my money, those things disappear. They're not forever. If I, if I trust in my 401K, that's going to go away. Um, if I trust in my own strength, I'll get old enough where that'll go away. Well, I won't, but everybody else will. Um, I'm sorry, i got to stop kidding around and be a little more serious. Um, and so, so he says, listen, don't trust in the acclaim of other people. Trust in God. Then he starts talking about money, and he talks about using money in such a way as to where it glorifies God. You can go back and read it yourself. It's, um, actually, I might have it up. Um, he, he ends that teaching where he says, listen. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And actually, the word he uses there for wealth is mammon, which can mean wealth, but it also can be a reference to a specific pagan god. So, like, the subtext there is, look at what you worship, right? But again, this isn't, this is about big rocks, Um, because if, 
my wealth and my having stuff is the big rock, right? God isn't going to fit in the jar eventually. If, if God isn't the first thing I put into the equation, I'm going to have a problem because it's not going to fit. Like, I'm not going to get everything in. Um, and so Jesus starts out, he says, listen, pay attention to what's most important. Don't fast for other people. Use your money in a way that glorifies God. Serve God with your finances, right? Like serve God, period, and then finances comes next. Um, so one, then the next, and there's a point to this, right? Hold on, let me jump back in my slide. Um, then he moves on to teaching about daily needs. Um, how many of y'all worry about your daily needs nowadays? I mean, I, I, how am I going to have enough money to eat? It's not as much a problem for, for 20th century America, 21st, 21st century America. We have some wealth, right? And it's actually sort of funny, for as much wealth as we have, how many of you guys worry about money? <laughs> More than me, right? It isn't just me. We worry about money even though it's not likely any of us will starve to death. Um, and, and so, like, like, Jesus moves into worry, which is um, chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up there. Um, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he starts out, he says, listen, don't worry about food, don't worry about money, because your life is more than what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I'm talking to you, teenage girls. Um, sorry. It's the only people I could think of that worry about what they're going to wear all the time. Um, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than one of these? Um, and why are you worried about, uh, about clothing? Ob- observe how the lilies of the field, they do not toil, they do not spin, yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory um, was clothed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, into the furnace, um, will he not much more clothe you, clothe you, O you of little faith? So we're going to pause there. He says, listen, birds don't work, God feeds them, right? Plants, they don't like make clothing and yet they're well dressed, they're beautiful, right? Just, why would you worry about these things? There's a funny little trick built into that story, by the way. Jesus has this great sense of humor that we lose because we're like thousands of years later and we don't live in the same kind of environment. Um, when he says that the grass of the field's gathered up and thrown into the fire or into the furnace, another way of reading that would be oven, right? So what they would do, and this is a common practice, people would go out into the fields, they'd gather up plants, and they'd throw them in the oven to cook bread um, because firewood wasn't always the easiest thing to come across. But plants are everywhere. So God dresses plants up so you can set them on fire to eat. Isn't that crazy? Um, The point is, your daily needs, God's concerned about them. But they're not the most important thing. They're not a big rock. They are a big rock when you need something to eat, but you have to make a decision in the end. Is this the big rock that's going to go in first, or is God going to be there first? Like, what's the most important thing? And what Jesus is saying is, God is so above all that, that he'll take your big rock and apply it to something that's nothing in order to feed you with pretty cooking utensils. Isn't that crazy? Like the degree to which God concerns himself over us. Um, And sometimes the degree to which we worry about things. Um, 
going on. It says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all things, all these things. All right, we're going to stop a second. Gentiles. Gentiles were people who were not Jews. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is he's like, look, you get these folks over here who worship the pagan gods, right? These are folks who are not believers in, in Yahweh, right? And, and the way the pagan religions worked is if you were going to go and you needed something from your pagan god, you would offer a sacrifice, right? And it was a trade. So, like, you know, you would say, well, um, you know, pagan god, I'm Baal or whatever. I'm going to go ahead and sacrifice this cow. And in exchange, I expect that you're going to give me good harvest. And that's my trade. And, in fact, I'll give you one cow a week from here until forever. And as a trade, you give me good harvest. Or you make sure that, like, hail doesn't knock my house down. Or you make sure that fire doesn't kill all my, all my livestock or whatever. There would be a trade. Everybody with me? Anybody ever tried to do that trade with God? God, if you'll just, then I'll, right? Um, if you go into the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God specifically condemns this kind of religion. He says, listen, you don't, you don't trade with me. That's how pagans do it. You don't trade with me. Now, the, regan, the reason that pagans or Gentiles would be worried about food and clothing and stuff like that is that if you sit down and you read the, like, like the, the old stories about these, these different pagan religions, the gods were kind of fickle. They didn't necessarily care about humans at all. And it's actually one of the things that makes Christianity and the Jewish faith a little unique to the ancient world. Read about Zeus. Zeus was not concerned about people. He wasn't. They were there, and they might be a nuisance. They might be something for him to date for a little while. But, you know, he might throw an earthquake their way just because, not because anybody asked for it, but just because he felt like it, because he's kind of a jerk. And most of the ancient gods were like that. They were kind of jerks. You know, they, they, yeah, sure, I like your sacrifice. Yeah, I like your sacrifice, but I'm going to kind of, you know, I'm going to kind of cheat you out of it anyway because I feel like it. And, and pagans were in this spot where they would say, well, is God going to take care of me? You know, is, is Zeus going to take care of me? Is Achilles going to take care of me? Is, is Mammon going to take care of me? Is, is Baal going to take care of me? And there's sort of this balance. And there's this tension in these ancient religions. Is he going to live up to his end of the bargain? Whereas what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, you serve God. You don't trade with him. And you don't worry about whether or not he's going to take care of you. Like, trust that he's going to take care of you. Or, as a further step, if he doesn't take care of you, Trust that he's got something going on because his concern is over your well-being. Everybody with me? So seek first God's kingdom is the next passage here, right? We're going to jump into it. Um, is that up? Oh, yeah, it is. Um, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, what's he saying? He's saying the big rocks are God's kingdom. The big rocks are submission to God. The big rocks are coming underneath God's righteousness. The big rocks are, are things that relate to him, not the things that are the most important to me. He says, listen, if you worry about this stuff, God will provide it for you. This is not saying don't work. Okay, here's the quick disclaimer. It's not saying don't worry, God will feed you, don't go to work. That's not what it's saying. Um, it, it's saying um, do your work, don't worry about it, God will take care of you. Um, why is this a big deal? Well, this is a big deal because um, if we're going to follow God the way that he intends for us to follow him, it sometimes involves us making some value decisions that are tough. 
Um, Jess isn't here right now, so I'm going to tell you this story. Um, a few years ago, uh, I went to Minnesota on a trip with a group of kids, and she was home, and she realized that she forgot to pay the mortgage. Um, and, and our mortgage at the time was such that it was like a paycheck. You know, there wasn't any, like, spending that money and then, oh, we'll dip it out. I mean, it was, it was a chunk. And, and she said, I also haven't done tithe. And so she had this decision to make about tithe or, oh, she's here. Nobody tell her what I'm talking about. <laughs> this decision to make about tithe or mortgage. And, and in the end, she wrote the tithe check. Um, and, and then she sat on pins and needles and chewed on her fingernails all week, and she didn't have me to... To, to talk to her about it, and so she was on her own worrying about it, right? And at the end of the week, um, in the mail arrives a check from the mortgage company. Um, and that check was enough to cover the gap that we paid out in tithe, um, and we paid our mortgage. Um, is this going to happen every time? I don't know. I know that if you honor God, God honors you. Um, because we need to seek what. What's his most important thing? Now, how does this play out in other situations? Anybody ever been, like, insulted or hurt by someone, and your first instinct is, how do I hurt them back? Is it just me? <laughs> really? <laughs> Nobody's right. Is anybody, I mean, and, and sometimes we carry that with us. We get hurt by someone, and it's like, oh, I'm packing this away. And we sit up at night and think about how mad we are, right? I mean, I've known folks who were angry at people they hadn't seen in, in years, even decades, and they just kept that fire alive, and they'd throw a little gas on it every night before bed just to make sure it doesn't go out, and that anger goes with them. Um, well, where Jesus starts this sermon, he talks about anger. He says, listen, um, if you've got anger at folks and you're about to offer to God, don't offer, go fix it. Then come offer. Because relationship with other folks being right is part of God's priority. Um, but that's not my priority. I mean, my priority is somebody messes with me, it's on, right? <laughs> it just is. Like, like somebody insults me, somebody hurts me, it's, you know, my natural priority is my deal, defend me, you know, like it's all about me, right? And God says, no, no, forgive. Let it go. Don't even worship me if you're not forgiving. Um, but that's God's rock, Right? Seek that sort of thing first, and then God will take care of you. Well, it's not all that easy, right? I mean, it, it just isn't. Um, as a set of rules, this is darn near impossible to do. Anybody with me? Anybody read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? There are things like, you know, men, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you're checking out other women, you're already doing it. <laughs> I, that's tough, Right? And you leave me on my own, sin is going to take over and I'm going to do it. Um, as we look at this, seek first the kingdom of God, this is not another rule to follow. So as I go into this, understand, this is not another rule to follow. Um, it's an orientation of life. Um, it's, it's where God directs us. It's how God instructs us to live in harmony with his will. Um, I, 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 I'm thinking of a particular movie I want to use as an example, and I didn't think of it before now. Anybody ever get in the car and drive in the wrong direction? You know, you're on the highway, and everybody else in the car is asleep. This happened to us, like, a lot. <laughs> I, I'm sure, since I have the microphone, I'll say that it's Jess who does it. Um, <laughs> but you're driving, and it's 3 in the morning, and your spouse is asleep, and you're like, I'm going to jump on this highway, and I'm going to let him sleep. 
and you're on the highway, and what happens? A little while later, you're not in the Rocky Mountains, you're in the Great Plains, right? And you think, John Denver lied to me. Um, driving in the wrong direction doesn't get you where you're going. This is about direction that you're heading in life, not about a rule that we follow, right? It's about life orientation. Um, Obeying the rules ain't getting me to heaven. It ain't getting you to heaven. We go to heaven because Jesus died for us and we choose to come under his lordship, right? And actually, when Matthew writes this, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he uses an unusual phrase. If you read all of Matthew, Matthew says kingdom of heaven over and over and over again. He only uses kingdom of God a few times in the gospels. And then it's to emphasize God's personal connection to us. Orientation in life is about being connected to God personally. Um, Those of you all who are married maybe understand this from this perspective. Um, Before I got married, I could check out other girls. I mean, not when we were dating. I never did that. But but when I was a freewheeling bachelor, I could chase after women, right? Like I could could find girls to date, and it was awesome. Day I got married, the orientation changes because now the wife is it, period, right? There's no discussion beyond that. Wife is it. Um, And if I try to discuss it, I'm going to get squished, right? I was waiting for her to amen. (laughs) It's an orientation in life. So as Jesus is saying, this says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, meaning coming under God's lordship, right? And it's God's personal relationship with you, this personal connection. um, And God will take care of everything else. The big rock is God and your relationship with him. Aim at that. Everybody with me? Um, We're going to move on from that. I got a video. Let's see if it's going to play for me. That's Abigail. Have you guys seen her? Isn't she cute? I'm just looking for an excuse. We're walking up um, a a mountain at Glacier. Um, Does Abby seem any kind of concerned as to my presence here? Does she look like she's enjoying herself? Um, Actually, I'm filming. I looked up, and I looked back down, and she was gone. She had stopped. (laughs) She wasn't very concerned about what was going on with me, right? Um, She generally sort of wanted to stick with me, and as long as she was running with me, um, she was okay. If she gets too far off, she gets upset. You know how kids are, right? We went out there, and we're walking up this mountain and glacier, and Abby and I are walking. And um, have you all been there? Has anybody been there? Um, this, this particular path is by the bookstore visitor center at the top of the mountain. Abby and I are walking, and Abby would periodically, like she didn't want to let me hold her hand, right? And she didn't want me to carry her, which is good because it's really thin air up there, and I'm out of shape. Um, you, I turned the sound off so you couldn't hear me huffing and puffing. Um, but as we're going, we start walking up this, like, walkway, right, like a like a raised elevated walkway. And Abby's like veering back and forth. And I'm walking behind her the whole time, putting my hand out. You know, and so she'd walk over toward this side and I'd be right there with my hand, right? And I'm not picking her up, I'm not carrying her. But because she's going the same way I'm going, she ain't falling off a cliff, right? Um, And eventually hit a point where there was no way she was going to do it. And I picked her up and tossed her on my shoulders, and she screamed and fought, and we went upstairs because she can't go upstairs that well because she's only like two feet tall. Um, and, and, and then I put her down and let her walk again. Um, because we're going in the same direction, and she's under my authority. Everybody with me, my authority. I'm bouncing her back and forth. Um, she's got this protection that comes with it. She didn't have to worry about whether or not she was going to fall off the walkway because I wasn't going to let that happen. Um, I would argue it's because I'm a good parent. You could debate the finer points of that. Thanks for laughing, honey. Um, if God is a good parent, certainly he would take care of us. And when we walk in his way, he's with us. Everybody with me? Um, how does this play out? How do we seek God first? Well, seeking God's kingdom begins with Jesus. 
right? Period. Last week we listened to, a, I did a sermon on Hebrews 12. Um, if you didn't hear it, you know, you can listen to it online, as I said earlier. Um, Hebrews 12, the end of the sermon, we talked about this idea of keeping our eyes on Jesus as we go through difficulty, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Um, as we're aiming towards Jesus, as we're following Christ, that becomes our guiding point. Um, I drove a, a combine for Larry Let Me Drive a Combine. Um, that's really the way to say it. He let me drive a combine. I was like a 14-year-old kid driving a car first time, you know. And, and one of the things that both he and Daniel said to me was, as you're driving, first off, driving a straight line, don't run over the rocks, right? And I said, well, how do I drive in a straight line? They say, you pick a point and you aim at it. Anybody else do this? Really? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> drive in a straight line by picking your target and driving at your target, right? Jesus is that sort of thing. Like, we aim at it. This is our objective. We live for Christ. And we aim at that and we drive at it. It's our guiding point. And so, like, how do we seek God first? Well, we seek Jesus first. And we use that as the lens through which we see the world. I talked about this last week, and I'm going to talk about it again, and I'll probably talk about it again next week. Um, When I look at my marriage, I say, my marriage is great, but I'm more blessed in the fact that I know that marriage is a model for how Jesus is with the church, right? I look at my daughter, and I love my daughter, but I get a huge additional blessing because I look at it and I say, God loves me enough to send Jesus to die for me, and he looks at me with this kind of love and care. Um, We look at everything in our lives, and if we can use Jesus as our lens, it changes how this stuff works. Now, how does this play out? Well, there are some times when I'm not going to have enough food to eat, right? I mean, this is more a reality for these listeners in in the gospel text than for me, but there are going to be times where when I just can't afford food. It happened in college a lot. You know, and I would, I would be eating, like, rice and, like, peanut butter out of a jar, and I had to steal the peanut butter. Um, <laughs> liberate, borrow. Um, I had to borrow the peanut butter um, from a roommate. I didn't, like, go into a store and steal it. It's okay when you steal from a roommate. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, was, I shouldn't have said that. I was wrong. Um, but I can... I can um, I can remember times when I, when I went to bed without eating because I didn't have any money to buy food, right? And I was too proud to ask. Um, and so, I, like, there are times when this is going to happen. And this is a world where people starve to death sometimes, right? There are times that God doesn't provide. Like, here's the lens then. If I look at this and I say, wow, I don't have enough to eat, I can back up and say, well, what's the story of this with Jesus? Well, we see Paul do this, right? Paul's about to be executed. They gathered him up. They got him in jail. And they say, Paul, we're going to kill you. And Paul's response was, great, I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> I said, well, then we're going to torture you. If you, you know, that's what we'll do. And he'll say, Paul responds, great, I can experience what Jesus experienced. Bring it on. And then they're like, well, fine, we're not going to torture you either. We're going to put you in jail. And we're going to tie you to a guard, which is what they did. They had guards chained to him. And you're not going to get away, and we're going to be right there. And there's nothing you can do about it. And Paul says, all right. And he sits down, and he spends night and day every day telling the guards about Jesus. And before you know it, all of the Roman guards in the penal system, Christians. What do you do with a guy like that? Because when he looks at the world, he looks at it through Jesus' lens, right? He says, wow, I'm hungry. Jesus was hungry sometimes. I'm a part of that. Let's do it. He says, wow. I have to worry about money. He didn't say this. I'm using this as an example. I look at it and say, wow, I, I have to worry about money. I can trust God right now. Wow, that fell apart and it didn't work out. Maybe God has something better for me, and maybe this is just about me having faith. It sounds fatalistic. It sounds ridiculous. But it makes sense when your eyes are looking through those glasses, right? 
when you've got the Jesus lenses on. And anybody, um, I knew a guy who's an AA guy. He uh, was a um, an addictions therapist where I worked. And and this guy, his name was Bill. And Bill um, wore he had glasses that were pink. Like he got his prescription glasses in pink. And I asked him one day, I'm like, why do you have pink glasses? And he he said uh, um, that that when when he had like when he was a raging alcoholic, people told him he looked at the world through garbage-colored glasses. And so he got rose-colored glasses because he figured, you know, this is the better way to do it. Um, trusting Jesus is about shifting from the me-colored glasses to the Jesus-colored glasses. How do I look at the world? Well, what does Jesus tell me about this? Man, I'm hurting. Well, what does Jesus tell me about this? It becomes the guiding principle. So when I seek Jesus first, um, God promises he'll provide, and I would argue when he doesn't, that him not providing um, fits into how we are in Christ. And our perspective on that shifts the experience of the whole thing. Everybody with me? Some people with me? Um, the next step of this is actually knowing God's will. This is the tough one, right? Because some folks say, I feel it, so it's God's will, right? It always blows me away when I talk to somebody who is about to do something huge and sinful, and you're like, what are you doing? Can't you see this? Oh, well, I feel like God is okay with this. Okay, you know, I'm sure your feeling counts. Um, I, I talked to a guy who's going to have an extramarital relationship. He was he was thinking about it, right? And we had a conversation. He said, "Well, but surely I'm owed this. Surely God is okay with this." Well, no, but I feel like He's okay with it. Well, you know, you can feel anything you want. <laughs> feeling doesn't determine what God's will is. Feeling does have a part of it. Don't get me wrong. Because picking out God's will isn't always easy. But I would argue that knowing God's will begins by knowing the scriptures. If we're going to look at the world through God-colored glasses, right? Through Jesus-colored glasses, we need to know what it is that he taught and what it means to have Jesus-colored glasses, right? We've got to know this stuff. This is how we seek first. We know what God's will is. We seek it out. We learn it. And we apply it. Um, we pray, right? How many of you guys have a disaster and the first thing you don't do is pray? I'm going to raise my hand right now. <laughs> Um, you know, oh my gosh, the car broke down. I, I, I'll, I'll work on it here and we'll pray about it later after I call AAA. Then God can come in. Prayer, like, like, is dependence on God ultimately. Um, I know a lot of you guys were praying for Alex yesterday. How many of y'all felt really helpless? <laughs> there is nothing I can do today. But trusting God isn't really helpless, is it? Um, trusting God is relying. Trusting God is being dependent. Um, sometimes trusting God is like running down the walkway at, at the mountain range, you know, with God walking behind, batting us back onto the path so we don't get too lost. Um, prayer is central to trusting God. If you ain't doing it, um, it it's, we're commanded to. It's the middle of everything. Um, and then wise counsel. There are folks around you who are clever. Um, there are people like Brooke um, who, who know the scriptures and are wise and are godly, right? There, there are people like... Um, like me, who are just here. Um, well, no, I might be wise counsel too, but we're surrounded by folks who have, who have wisdom. And part of what God provides for us is wise counsel. We surround with people who know what they're saying, and you listen to them, and that's part of how we discern God's will. My fella, my friend who was thinking about having the affair because he figured God was okay with it, he asked me, and my counsel was, don't do that. You, can't, you, know, you can't do a wrong thing right. Like, God's not going to bless that. Um, so this is part of how God like provides for us to seek God's will first. Um, it's not necessarily the safest path. Um, sometimes 
seeking God's will is going to be dangerous. Um, Jess and I were terrified of moving to Montana because we had to sell our house. Anybody heard anything good about the housing market recently? And we said, well, how are we going to sell our house and lose $40,000? How are we going to have our house sit on the market for six months? How are we going to do that? And we said, well, we'll just trust God is going to take care of it, right? And we were here about two weeks before our house sold. Okay. Um, Why? Because trusting God isn't safe. Sometimes trusting God means jumping. Does it mean he's always going to take care of us? No, but we agreed that if, if it was going to be a financial disaster, we'd rather have a financial disaster doing God's thing than have everything be safe and okay and sit at home and do nothing. Make sense? It's just not safe. Um, this plays out, by the way, in, in the folks that walk in the door. Um, I, when I worked at Basher, um, um, as an example of this, we had a cottage a group of kids that were in treatment who were, who were juvenile sex offenders, right? That's what they were. These were boys, 8 to 13, and they, they, were, they were offenders. That's what they were. And uh, we had trouble finding a church for them to go to. Isn't that funny? Um, like, they went to a church for a little while, and nobody knew what they were. And everybody was friendly, and they blocked off a section where they could all sit together, and people, like, you know, shaking hands with them and high-fiving with them and talking to them about their families. And then one day it got out, and nobody sat near them. Like, it was like they had a whole circle around them that people wouldn't come near them, and nobody said hi to them anymore. And, and people actually, like, kind of looked mad that they were there. Um, they're unsafe people in the world, Right? These are kids who are fixing their problem. These, you know, I, I led a lot of these kids to Jesus, actually. And, and, you know, they were working and they were trying. And with young people, the, the repair rate is much different than with adults. Like, treating adults is very, like, bleak. Treating young people is very effective. Um, but nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. Um, if we do thing God, things God's way, people are going to come here that we may not like, that we might be uncomfortable with that we may, you know, think God probably ought to squish them. Um, people who are dirty or smelly or, or, or maybe don't fit in. Um, this is a part of the deal. Um, as we go forward, and, and part of the reason I'm talking about this is, um, as a church, I firmly believe that God's call for us is to seek his will first, right? And I think that's like the heart of this church. I think that's where folks are at. Um, over the next you know, year, we're going to be doing some new stuff. And we're going to do some new stuff to reach lost people. Why? Well, because as a church, our first job is to glorify God, right? Everybody, can we agree on this? Our second job as individuals is to disciple, to grow in our faith. And our third job is to go out in all the world and find people and keep them from going to hell. And we're going to do these things. And that means that sometimes people are going to come here that we don't like. And it means sometimes we're going to do things we're not comfortable with. Um, It means that we're going to ask you guys to hop up and help. Um, but this is what it means to seek God's will. It's the big rock that ought to be sitting in the middle of the church, right? Um, my challenge for you is to pray over that, to find, look to God to change your heart in these areas. Not saying that y'all don't want this, because I see folks being very welcoming of new people. Actually, more so than almost any church I've ever been in. <laughs> you know, where a new person walks in and everybody crowds around them. Um, This is where our heart is. This is what God's calling us to do, and it's our big rock, and it's what we're going to do here in the next year. Um, I'm going to talk a little more about this next week. Um, We're going to close in prayer, and we're actually going to do offering during the last song because I forgot. Um, Let's uh, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts today. Um, I pray that you would move um, in these folks and
and help them to know you more and help them to find the priorities that you have for them in, in their daily lives, in their um, calling to you. Help them to trust in all things. In Christ's name, amen.